Hebrews chapter 12. We started Hebrews last, uh, chapter 12 last week, so we'll see how far we can get this week. Hopefully, the game plan is that next week we will have something on the Christmas story, and then we'll come back the end of the month, uh, the end of the, the last Sunday in December, and finish with um, Hebrews 13, and then on the 6th of January, we'll kick off our study in, in Exodus uh, with um, some words from Genesis. So we'll go from there. Hebrews, 12th chapter, verse 10. We talked about this last week, and we're not going to dwell on it, but we're just going to start here. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterward it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness. We talked about discipline, about how we as earthly fathers discipline our children, not, not for um, for. We, we discipline for their own good. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm coming back to that same thing we've said before. You know, this hurts me worse than it hurts you. We wondered about that as a child. But anyway, it does. Let's pick up with verse 14, and we'll go to the end of the chapter, hopefully. The writer is kind of changing themes here. Verse 14 of chapter 12, he says, Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord pursue peace with all men I I have uh, discovered I think I've told you this I have discovered YouTube <laughs> I knew what it was I knew where it was but now I have it on my TV and I don't watch anything but YouTube <laughs> And this last week, I've stumbled on Robbie Zacharias. Great day, you know. And I just go from one to the other and go back and listen to it and so forth. And part of his apologetics is that he speaks, he speaks kindness and he speaks in love. And people that you would never have thought have invited him to come speak to him. For instance, he's spoken of all places, the Mormon tabernacle. And he asked them when they came to him, they a couple of high, high, high officials in the church came to him and says, we want you to come speak to us. He says, well, has any other evangelical been there? He said one in the early 1900s, he said, who? He said, D.L. Moody. He said, so if, well, if D.L. Moody's gone, maybe I can, I can go too. He says, but I want to do two things. I want to pick my subject, and I want to pick the singer. So he told them what subject he wanted to do. He says, well, we'll have to take this back to the board. But Robbie 
in his quiet demeanor and manner is doing a lot. He goes college campus to college campus and he says he gets the same questions from campus to campus to campus. And, and some of them are very good questions, you know. And he shoots from the hip or off the cuff, you know. They don't, he doesn't know what they're gonna say. But what has separated him above some other apologists is his way he does it. The writer here in Hebrews starts off, he says, pursue peace. Now hold your finger there and turn to Romans. Go back to the left and turn to Romans, the 12th chapter. The 12th chapter of the book of Romans. <clears throat> Starts there, pursue peace with all men. Um, <clears throat> chapter 12, beginning in verse 17. Okay? You all with me? Okay, Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own vengeance, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. And do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Look back at verse 17. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. We can't control what a lot of things that are happening around us. We can't control what somebody else might say. But if we can control what we say and what we do, the writer in Hebrews says, pursue peace. As Robbie Zachariah has proved, you know, when he's quiet and deliberate and respectful, people listen. People listen. The people who organize these events that he goes through called a forum, every place he goes, every university he goes, every venue he goes to, there is no seats available. And the people say, why is that? Why is that? People are seeking the truth. And they're seeking it in a non-threatening thing. So we can be a, give defense of our own gospel and we can advance the Lord's kingdom by being at peace. He says, pursue peace with all men. Now the rest of that verse gets a little personal. And 
the sanctification which with without which no one will see the Lord. The ESV and the NIV translate this word sanctification as holiness. Does anybody have any different from sanctification or holiness? Well, you know, sanctification. I go back to, to Chuck Swindoll, and he says the term or word sanctification here conveys an idea of separation from the world. A marked difference from worldly priorities and pursuits when we are morally distant from the worldliness around us. We will see the Lord clearly as through spiritual eyes. He said, but worldliness isn't simply indulging the lust of the flesh by engaging in sinful activities. That's only one form. Worldliness is an attitude that prioritizes the things of the world over the things of Christ. We have said time and time again this little simple word, obey. We have talked about it from a daddy's perspective. Obey. You want your children to obey. That's all the Lord wants his people to do is obey. On one of these videos, and I'm sorry I'm boring you with my TV watching, <laughs> Robbie Zachariah was on there, and Dennis Prager was on there. And I knew who Dennis Prager was, but I didn't know who he was. Did y'all know he's a Jew? Very much a Jew. And they shared the same stage, and it was amazing how these two intellects, you know, bounced off of one another and not, not conversely, you know, they were together. <clears throat> holiness, holiness. I think in our modern day, where when we live today, it's hard to separate God's people from somebody who is not. God's people, a lost man and a saved man. We've talked about this. You know, we go to the same places, we do the same things, we participate in the same activities. There's no setting apart. And yet, the writer of Hebrews says, you need to pursue sanctification or holiness. And the writer says here, these are two commands. Pursue peace, and sanctification. And now he gives, he gives three little warnings. Let's continue on to verse 15. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. Okay? A warning. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. There's an evangelical element there. 
We need to get everybody in the fold, those we love, especially those of our own house. He says, be sure that no one comes short of the grace of God. Number two, that no root of bitterness springs up causing trouble. What's your definition of root of bitterness? This is the only time it's in Scripture, by the way. Root of bitterness. What does that mean to you? Unforgiveness. Unforgiveness. Anger. Anger. That's pretty much it. Pretty much it. We've talked about this idea of, of forgiving. You know, about the unforgiveness that we hold in our hearts. That it... it it's a cancer that eats us. Uh, it, it, uh, it's, it's just bad. And he says, don't let this root of bitterness spring up. He says, because what? It causes trouble. That's scripture. So no root of bitterness springing up that causes trouble. Okay, let no one come short of the glory of God. Be careful about a root of bitterness springing up. And number three, verse 16. And let there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing. He was rejected, for he sought, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it with tears. Sought it with tears. Hold your finger in Hebrews, and we're going to go back to Genesis. First book in the Bible, Genesis chapter 25. And we're going to see about Esau here a little bit. Some people call this the Esau syndrome in that <clears throat> taking it from what what happened here chapter 25 of Genesis let's begin reading at verse 27 everybody with me when the boys grew up you remember <clears throat> Rebecca had two. She had a, twins, Jacob and Esau. Okay. Verse 27. When the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a peaceful man living in tents. Now Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game. But Rebecca loved Jacob. When Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field and he was famished. Esau said to Jacob, Please let me have a swallow of that red stuff there, for I am famished. Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, First sell me your birthright. Esau said, Behold, I'm about to die. What use then is my birthright to me? And Jacob said, First swear to me 
So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and a little, little stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. In this day and time, we, we don't call it much the Esau syndrome, <laughs> as much as we call it, I want what I want and I want it right now, <laughs> syndrome. I'll do anything I want right now. Now, in our normal thing, what, what Esau did, told to Jacob when he came in from the field, he says, I'm starving. I want some of that. Jacob, this is the first time we see his cunningness, and we'll see it later on. He said, fine, give me your, your birthright. Remember, Esau was firstborn, and in Jewish household, being firstborn was everything. Even though they were twins, Esau was firstborn. He said, sell me your, birth, your birthright. Go back to Hebrews and let's look what Scripture says about this. Verse 16 of verse 12. Let there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was re rejected for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it with tears. Let me read you one little verse that in chapter 27 of Genesis. Uh, he had just, <laughs> through the treachery of Rebekah and, and Jacob, he had stolen his blessing. He stole his birthright first. And then here he's stealing his blessing. And then uh, Isaac uh, came in and he says, uh, Isaac replied to him in verse 37, Behold, I have made him your master, and all his relatives I have given to him as servants. And with grain and new wine I've sustained him. Now as for you then, what can I do, my son? 38. Esau said to his father, Do you not only have one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, my father. So Esau lifted up his voice and wept. He wanted a blessing, but he didn't have one. He went back to the, the case here, even verse 17 of the 12th chapter of Hebrews, he desired it and he sought it with tears, but he, wasn't, he didn't get it. Some things we do in haste, we pay for down the road. Some things we do, we don't think, you know, we put 
you know, our mouth in motion before we put our mind in gear. And we say some things that we shouldn't have said, and those are the worst. You can't take them back. You can't take them back. And this day and time, you better be careful. Somebody's got a camera and a microphone on you. You know, you're gonna you're gonna hear from it. Okay, going back to verse 14, pursue peace, and then seek holiness. And then the three things that come from that, uh, don't come short of the grace of God. Let no root of bitterness spring up and don't fall into the trap of the Esau syndrome by doing something stupid at the moment. Verse 18, we'll keep on going. For you have not come to the mountain that you can be touched and the blazing fire and to the darkness and the gloom and the whirlwind and the blast of the trumpet and the sound of the words and the sound uh, was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken for they could not bear the command if even a beast touches the mountain I will be stoned and a terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling, but you have come to Mount Zion. All through Hebrews, we've been comparing Jesus to everything else. Jesus is superior, just like Philip testified. Jesus is superior. And here he's two different mountains the Mount Sinai where God spoke in thunder and fire and was very hard don't don't come to the mountain don't touch it man beast anything else don't touch it if you want to read it it's in uh, Deuteronomy 5 but I need to hustle so we'll skip that part of the scripture but he says Mount Zion he says it's a different show Verse 22, you have come to Mount Zion into the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and the myriads of angels to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. You remember the, the 70 being sent out? Uh, when when the Lord sent out the 70 uh, and they came back and they were rejoicing with what they had told this is in Luke 10 in verse 17 he says the 70 returned with joy saying Lord even the demons are subject to us in your name and he said to them this is Jesus if you're Bible is like mine it's written in red he said I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning behold I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all power of the enemy and nothing will injure you verse 20 nevertheless do not rejoice in this but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. 
he had given the disciples, these 70 that he sent out, he had given them authority over everything. And they came back and they were exclaiming about this. And Jesus says, yes, but rejoice in the fact that your name is written in heaven. Go back to Hebrews now. He, Hebrews um, verse, verse 23. And to the general assembly in the church of the first born who are enrolled in heaven. In Revelation we have uh, the story of, well, we have prophecy that the, the books were open. And the book was open. God's got our name in a book. It's got our name in a book. Verse 24. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the sprinkled, sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. That's the crutch of Hebrews right there that Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. And that's what the writer of Hebrews has been trying to say all this time. He is the mediator of the new covenant. Okay, verses 25. There's a lot to say here, but anyway, there just is. All right. Verse 25 of chapter 12 see to it then that you do not refuse him who is speaking for if you did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth how much less will we escape who turned away from him who warns from heaven all the way through this book Art and I have reminded you that, that there's theologians have Identified five warnings that this writer is preaching to or teaching to these Jewish Christians. Five warnings. Let's look at them right quick. This is the fifth one, but let's back up a little bit. Go to chapter 2 of Hebrews. <clears throat> chapter 2, we'll walk through these real quickly. Chapter 2 of he Hebrews, verse 1. This is the first warning that the writer gives us. Hebrews 2 verse 1. For this reason we must pay closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. For if the word spoken through angels proved unalterable and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect so great salvation? After all, it was first spoken to the Lord and it was confirmed by us who heard. Verse 4, God also testified with them both by signs and wonders and various miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. Pay close attention to what you've heard because how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation that's the first warning Hebrew gives us look at chapter 3 let's look at verse 11 of chapter 3 
This is num the second one. If your Bible might have a subtext or subparagraph there, the peril of unbelief is what's written in my Bible. Verse 12, Take care, brethren, that there not be any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, and it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We have another scripture that says, you know, don't forget to come together. I look forward to seeing you every time I see you, but particularly on Sunday morning. You encourage me. You encourage me. I see some giants in this room. Giants in this room. He says, he says, take care, brethren, that that you don't uh, that evil doesn't take. Excuse me. Take care, brethren, and let there not be any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Encourage everyone day after day. Okay. Number three. Let's go to chapter six. Chapter six, verses one and two. And he says, be careful and don't stray from, from spiritual growth. Chapter six, verse one and two. Therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about Christ... Let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God and instructions about washing and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. He says, this will do. He says, so go on, go on. He basically says, grow up. Get off of pablum. Do they still make pablum today? You know, don't. Well, get off infamil or something. You know, <laughs> get off, get off of that, and and get to the meat of the word. You know, grow up. You've been a Christian. You've got the Bible in your hands. You need to understand it and read it and go. He said, press on to maturity. Don't stray from spiritual growth. Number four, look at chapter 10. Chapter 10, verses 26. Begin in verse 26. He said, stand fast in the faith or face God's judgment. I don't know when we'll ever get through our thick heads that if we do as God has asked us to do, to be obedient, do what we know to do, ask him to guide us, we're on easy street. Now, that doesn't mean we won't have problems. That don't mean we won't have to work for a living. It doesn't mean a lot of different things, but it means that God has got our back. However, if we don't, there is a judgment. Let's look what he says in verse 26. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, 
there's no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set the law of Moses, uh, has set aside the law of Moses, dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified? Verse 31, it is a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of the living God. And then the fifth the fifth warning, which is in our scripture today, let's look back at James, excuse me, <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Look back at Hebrews uh, verse 20, uh, 25. See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Who warned them on earth, much less will escape to turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth then. Now he is promised saying, yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also heaven. That's a quote from Haggai. And verse 27, and this expression, yet once more, yet once more denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken and the created things that those things which cannot be shaken remain. Verse 28. Therefore, since we have received a, a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. We've said it time and time and time and time again in here, and it's true, and I'm afraid it's more true with our children and grandchildren. Sometimes we like this, this, this attitude of gratitude. We forget to say thank you. Forget to say, say thank you. A few years ago, Southern Living magazine, I'm not a faithful reader of Southern Living, but I happened to pick this copy up, and they talked about things that were things that used to be taught and, and now we're not teaching. And you know what the first one was? The very first one writing a thank you note a handwritten thank you note I better take some of Zachary, uh, Robbie's words and stop right there <laughs> if I want to be live at peace with all men so anyway or women, or women. <laughs> gratitude we need to be grateful we need to be grateful for where we are. We need to be grateful for what the Lord's done for us. And uh, it's...
So that brings chapter 12 to a close, and next week Art's going to talk about the Christmas story, and then the end of the month we'll pick up verse 13, and then the 6th of January we'll start in our study of Exodus, and I have no idea how long it'll take us to get through Exodus, so just hang tight. Uh, a lot of our beginning in, in, uh, in Genesis is just a story. Uh, it might be something we just read, but to, to bring you up to speed, to see you where we're, we're going when we open the, the first verse of, uh, of Exodus, you need to know where we're coming from there. So we'll go with that. Okay. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this time together, and we ask that you'd bless us. We thank you for everything and bless us. Uh, be with every word spoken in the further service, every prayer prayed, every song sung. Father, deal with us as children, as obedient children, as grateful children for all you've allowed us to have. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, I think you like Exodus 2.